One of these days, this planet that is rotating in outer space is going to have a big meltdown, and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, men may laugh at that. Men may mock that. But it's what the Scripture teaches. And I want to remind you this morning that one of Satan's chief tools is to ridicule, to laugh at, and to scoff the child of God. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series titled, God's Prophetic Schedule. We are living in a day of scoffing, mocking, and ridicule, and God wants to prepare us for the day in which we find ourselves. Today, we will see that Peter, by way of reminder, highlights for us the warnings of God in the past through the prophets and the Messiah. Today's sermon is entitled, Scoffing at Christ's Return, and we will be in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-18. through 18. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you this morning to take a Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, just find the last book, Revelation, and scan back a little bit, and you will soon come to 2 Peter. If you're joining us for the first time, typically we preach through entire books of the Bible, but we are between books right now, and I'm doing a 15, maybe 20-week series on God's prophetic schedule. Now, these are exciting days in which we find ourselves. And the world is talking a lot about a new world order, about a global reset. And that shouldn't surprise us entirely because the Bible predicts these very things. But I think you will see before we are finished with this series that the Antichrist is going to try to attempt that very thing. And I really believe with all my heart that the stage for what he intends to do is being set. With that said, the ultimate new world order will come when Jesus comes. In fact, here in our chapter this morning, when we come down to verse 13, we'll read, but according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the ultimate new order will not come about by the governments of man. It won't come by Satan or his antichrist. It will come when the Lord Jesus returns. C.S. Lewis once said, no clever arrangement of bad eggs will ever make a good omelet. That's true. We can try to rearrange the chairs and the Titanic and polish the brass, but the ship is going down. And one of these days, this planet that is rotating in outer space is going to have a big meltdown and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, men may laugh at that. Men may mock that. But it's what the Scripture teaches. And I want to remind you this morning that one of Satan's chief tools is to ridicule, to laugh at, and to scoff the child of God because he knows that he can knock you off kilter and discourage you. And that doesn't surprise us because that's what he's about. He is a liar. Jesus said he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he tells a lie. He speaks from his own nature because Jesus said he is the father of lies. And so Mr. Liar wants to destroy your life either for eternity trying to convince you that the truth of the Bible shouldn't be embraced 
or he will try to take the true, genuine, secure child of God and to discourage him so that he might not grow and be usable in the hand of God. And so we are living in a day of scoffing and mocking and ridicule, and God wants to prepare us for this day in which we find ourselves. It sounds like you've found it by now. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, follow along. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So Jesus is coming again, you say. Where is he? You Christians have been saying this for 2,000 years. Why don't you just forget it? He is not coming back. That's the voice of the mocker. That's the voice of the scoffer. And they say all this talk about Jesus coming back to fix things up, to judge the living and the dead is sheer nonsense and folly. And if you've not encountered these people, you will. And so you can see the morning's topic is scoffing at Christ's return. God wants, through his apostle, to prepare us so that we might be steadfast, that we might not be deterred when these scoffers come. And so this morning, God not only wants you to walk steadily, he wants for you to be able to give an answer when you're confronted by such people. So three simple truths. If you're using the note-taking outline, it's in your bulletin. If you're online, you can print it out. The first truth is that Peter reminds us about the warning of God in the past. The warning of God in the past. Now, I want you to notice how this chapter begins He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So he tells us this is the second letter. Of course, his first letter is right in front of this. It's called 1 Peter. This is his second letter. And he says, I'm writing to stir up your thinking, to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So remembrance, it's a key theme in this entire letter. And God wants to stir us up. He doesn't want you to glaze over this morning and just sit there. He wants you to listen. This is important. In fact, he's already said back in chapter 1, if you turn back a page, chapter 1, he said in verse 13, I consider it right 
as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And I will also be diligent, he said in verse 15, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter wants us to be able to recall the scriptural truths that he is going to unfold for us this morning so that long after he's dead, you will know what it is that you are to believe. And so it's the duty of every preacher to repeat himself. Repetition is something that's important. I know today pastors want to be cute and novel, but we are called to preach the book, and that means repeating the book over and over and over again. Jesus did that by model, and the apostles did it not only by command, but by model in the Acts of the Apostles. A large part of preaching and teaching is helping people to grab a hold of the truth. And there are five reasons, I think, found in Scripture why God would tell us to repeat ourselves. Number one, God commands pastors to do this. Four times in this letter alone, he tells us that we need to repeat. We need to stir people up by way of reminder because God wants us to get it. He knows this is a need we have. And God is a whole lot smarter and wiser than we are. Secondly, God knows that it takes several times. Not only is it by command, but it takes several times before you often really grasp a truth, before you own the truth, and you have to hear it again. And third, God would have a preacher to repeat himself because he wants you not only to grasp the truth, but to come to a level where you can explain the truth. So if I ask you, what are the four commands in the New Testament that summarize our responsibility to the Holy Spirit? See, it's one thing to say, well, I know it's important to be filled with the Spirit, but if you're trying to help the new Christian to walk in the Spirit, what are those four commands? See, that's an entirely different level that God wants to bring us. Fourth, we need to be able to uh, repeat truth because among other things, it's a measuring stick of how you are spiritually when you hear it over again. You say, well, I've heard this passage so many times, I think I could teach it. That's arrogance. That's pride. And God wants a humble, clean heart to be able to hear truth. And fifth, if a church is doing its job, there's going to be people who are hearing it for the first time. If you got just a bunch of old, crusty Christians and no one ever comes to know the Lord, you got a problem. That local assembly is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So what I'm sharing today, maybe you've heard before, but some people are going to hear it today for the very first time. So he says here in verse 1, this is now, beloved, a term used to describe God's people. I love the world but I love those that God has given me as my children in a special way. And God loves the whole world. He loves the people of this world, but only his people are called beloved or beloved. Both the verb and the noun is used to describe the people of God. God has a special affection for his people. This now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So God wants us to remember. And what specifically would God have us to remember? Two critical truths here. First, remember the warning God gave by his prophets. Remember the warning that God gave by his prophets. 
Notice here in the first two verses again, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Why? Here's the reason that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter is saying, in effect, as your spiritual leaders, we want to stir you up. We want to make sure that you are mentally alert first to what the holy prophets of the Old Testament era wrote about. Again, Peter knew our minds can wander. He knew that we can hear a truth, but not really let that truth sink deep into our soul. And we end up being asleep spiritually. Spiritual lethargy is a problem in the church today. And so Peter, among other things, he, he has a grasp on the unity of Scripture. He's affirming what Jesus affirmed, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that these uh, prophets of old taught the very truth that he is going to tell these people who are receiving this letter. In the Old Testament, they wrote about mockers and scoffers who would make fun of God and make fun of his truth. As you read the holy prophets of old, you, just, you learn that they spoke of two comings of Christ. One, that he would come as a suffering servant, but he would also come as a victorious king. And so because the Jewish people didn't always believe what the prophets of God said, in fact, they mocked them. Jesus said they killed them. They missed the first coming of the Messiah. Not all Jewish people. There are many Jewish people all the way through the Old Testament era. God has always had his remnant. And even when the Lord Jesus came, the early church initially was comprised entirely of Jews. But many mock the Lord. Now, understand there are two comings that are described in the Old Testament. They're like two mountain peaks of prophecy. And sometimes in a single verse, the whole program of God, both his first and second coming, are brought together. And we studied much of that when we looked at the book of Daniel and when we taught the book of Revelation. And between those two mountain peaks of prophecy, there's a valley. We call it the church age. So on one mountain, Mount Moriah, the Messiah would suffer and die. On another mountain, uh, the Mount of Olives, the Messiah will literally, physically actually return. He'll plant his feet on that mountain, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And so, when they spoke of his first coming, they spoke of the fact that there would be mockers. Maybe he had Isaiah 53 in mind, where the prophet says he was despised and forsaken of men. And the Old Testament prophets spoke of his second coming. Maybe they had Zechariah 13 in mind, where people would mock the rule and reign of the Messiah. And so, number one, you should remember the holy prophets. Number two, be on your outline. Remember the warning God gave by his son. Remember the warning God gave by his son. Again, Peter says here in verse two, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So the holy prophets taught this, but so did the Lord and Savior as recorded through his New Testament apostles. Of course, Jesus himself warned of this in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Said a day is coming. In this context, he's looking specifically at the tribulation period that there will be people who will come saying they are the Messiah. 
They'll do all kinds of miracles and people will be deceived. And of course, even prior to that time, Jesus spoke there would be false prophets and false teachers. And so he will go on to say a number of times in the Olivet Discourse, he will command that be on the alert. Be alert to these kinds of things. But not only did Jesus say it directly, he said it through his apostles. In fact, they're described here as your apostles. Why? Because they don't see themselves as big shots. They see themselves as servants of the living God. And Peter understood that Christ had not given him some papal authority. It's in the plural. You should circle the little letter S at the end of the word apostle. He is speaking here of the apostles who are speaking with the authority of God Almighty. Paul, for instance, said to the church at Ephesus, he gathered the elders there, and in his last sermon to them, he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Jude, the apostle, gave the same warning. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there shall be mockers. Likewise, the apostle John gave a similar command. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver the Antichrist. And so John will describe the spirit of Antichrist that is at work. And someday the spirit of Antichrist will literally be embodied in a person. And so he'll go on to say, watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Now, John knew you could not lose your salvation. He affirmed our eternal security, but he also knew that false teachers could knock you off center where you could lose some of your reward. Uh, turn here in Second uh, Peter to chapter 2 for a moment. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Again, I want you to see a similar warning that this apostle gave. That chapter opens, but false prophets also arose among the people. Now, when Peter said that false prophets also arose among the people, what precisely is he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament era, when Israel was plagued with the presence of false prophets. The people were constantly being led astray by false teachers. Not only did they have false prophets from without, like the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah during the time of Elijah, they also had prophets, false prophets from within, who claimed to speak on behalf of Adonai, but they did not. And so the Bible says that a true prophet would be taught by God. He would be given divine revelation, whereas a false prophet who claimed inspiration was doing nothing but revealing his own mind. That's why Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. And then a few verses later, he'll say, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain? Absolutely nothing, declares the Lord. So God is not synergistic as so many Bible teachers and pastors are arguing for today. 
So we have more and more people who argue, well, their opinions are not contradictory, they're just complementary. And so at the Southern Baptist Convention, 10 days ago, one of the best-known pastors in America who had ordained three women to the ministry to be elders in his church, he said, well, this is just a secondary issue. Is it really? When God says that a woman should not teach or exercise authority over a man, and then when he gives the qualifications for a pastor, they're all male qualifications. If you can tell me how a female can be the husband of one wife, I can tell you how she can be an elder or a pastor. Not to mention for 2,000 years, there was one common voice in terms of the roles of men and women. It's not that men are better than women. It's not that women cannot be fantastic Bible teachers. They can, but they're to do it over women and not over men. Why? Because there are different roles in the body of Christ. Men and women are equal, but they have complementary roles, just as in the home. The husband and the wife are equal. They're co-heirs of the promises of salvation. The man is to be the leader, and that's where your children will learn. When children come in and the parents say, well, he's just rebellious and he doesn't listen to me, typically there's a problem with the marriage. Where either A, the husband is not being a loving leader, or B, the wife is not submitting to his authority. That's where they learn to respect the police officer and leaders in the church and so on. And so his argument was, oh, you know, it's just a secondary issue. If God has spoken clearly on something, it's not a secondary issue. To deny what God has clearly said and to rewrite it is sin. It's a distortion of Scripture. In every major denomination in this country, one of the very first steps they took in going down the road of liberalism is they denied the distinct roles that God has for men and women. Again in verse 1 here of chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Peter is saying, just as many false teachers arose during the time of Israel's history, so you can expect the same in the church. When you look for a false teacher, never fail sometimes to look in the church. And Peter's uh, admonition here is largely going unheeded in our day. The average evangelical under the name of unity is willing to link arms with just about anybody and everybody. And they take grossly out of context the verse in Christ's high priestly prayer, well, they'll know, Father, that you sent me by the unity and the oneness they have towards each other. But understand, you have to look at the full teaching of Christ. He told us that we are to, by his apostles, put out false teachers in the church. That if someone is not faithful and true to the faith delivered once and for all, if they do not have a serious belief in this book, they are to be rejected. Paul told the church at Galatia, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And as painful as division can sometimes be, it is far better to be divided by truth than to be united by error. And so God wants a certain purity in the church, and so he's dealing with the local assembly, 
people in the local assembly who get along with one another. That is the mark that God has indeed sent the Savior of the world because only he can produce that life change. Now back here in chapter 3 in verse 1, that you should remember, he says, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter is saying, in other words, don't be surprised, don't be discouraged, don't be disheartened, don't be depressed, don't be dismayed. Because the prophets of old, the Lord Jesus himself, and the Lord Jesus through his apostles said that there would be mockers. And he just wants us to be aware of that. And so Peter is giving us counsel on how to deal with mockers or scoffers, depending on your translation, in the last days. And remember, the Bible says the last days will go from bad to worse, 2 Timothy 3. While we've been in the last days since the time Jesus walked on the earth, those will increase in terms of the evil expressions they'll bring. All right, but he doesn't stop there. I want you to see, beginning now in verse 3, that Peter instructs us about the persistence of mockers in the present. He instructs us about the persistence of mockers in the present. Roman numeral 2 there in your outline. Now, please notice how verse 3 begins. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Know this, first of all. In other words, what I am about to say is of utmost importance, so do not miss it. That in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. He's reminding us that one of the signs of the last days will be mocking. Scoffers. And that this scoffing and this mocking will go from bad to worse. Look, if you lived in America 50 years ago, while you may not have been an evangelical born-again Christian, you still had a certain respect. You had a certain uh, affinity for some of the things they taught. In fact, you may have followed some of the teachings they taught. No longer. Now the two camps are becoming more and more divided, and you have to choose camps. And so the Bible predicts not only the appearance of the Lord Jesus at the end of time, but also the appearance of mockers and scoffers at the end of time. So we shouldn't be surprised when they show up. They're called apostates. In fact, he spent all of chapter 2 describing an apostate. An apostate is not simply an unbeliever. Certainly all apostates are all unbelievers, but not all unbelievers are apostates. And so we saw that there's a narrow definition in the New Testament for an apostate, that an apostate is someone who knew the truth, heard the truth, and they've either totally rejected it or they've rewritten it. And that's the day in which we are living in. And so in the second chapter, he teaches us that these people that are described in that chapter don't take the truth of God's word seriously. Just as the people mocked in Noah's day, just as the citizens of Sodom mocked the possibility that there would be fire and brimstone from heaven in Lot's day, even so the people in this day mock and scoff that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Join us tomorrow for part two of Scoffing at Christ's Return. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 007. 
Tomorrow, we will be live in this studio with Dr. Brogy during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. If you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Carl personally, give us a call at 843-525-1859. And don't forget that you can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.